I got to say, Appetite for Distortion is probably the best name for a podcast I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> For distortion. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 363. My name is Brando. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Rachel Bolin. How are you, sir? Doing very well, man. Thank you for having me on the most awesome name podcast ever. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to still to kind of keep a straight face and be professional for the intro, but just right before we started recording and it's on the podcast version because at least I'm recording on the audio side. My my listeners know it's, it happened with Dave Kushner from Velvet Revolver. I lost like the master tape. Oh, okay. and I had to redo the interview. So I've always have a backup going. So I was kind of chuckling to myself as I'm doing the intro because you you complimented the name of the podcast. And I'm like, it's awesome. <laughs> Appetite for distortion. That's great. Oh, I, I really appreciate that. And I think, you know why? We're getting off on a great foot right away because we're both Northeasterners, right? Where I'm, yeah, I'm a Jersey guy. And I'm a Queens guy, New York, you know. There you go. Hey, oh, hey, hey, look at this guy. I'm even, a, I'm a real <laughs> New Yorker and I don't talk like that, you know. Yeah, I know, uh, I know, right? But, and I don't, I don't say New Jersey either. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, you're from Jersey? I'm like, no, Jersey, but that's fine. <laughs> Jersey, yeah. But that, I kind of want to start there because this is going <clears> to <throat> sprinkle some, I want to sprinkle in fan questions because not only am I excited, uh, my listeners are excited for you to be on Appetite for Distortion. So, Awesome. This, this is from all the way from Greece, Connie Pat, who, by the way, is, I believe, 15 months sober. So Mazel Tov to Connie. Uh, he, he's like, he's a Jersey guy, Rachel. The natural thing is to do is to ask him about the Sopranos. So <laughs> is that like a rite of passage? Like for me, I've seen every Seinfeld episode, you know, 7,000 times. Se- I've seen every Seinfeld. I have never, ever seen the Sopranos. Mm, you know what? Uh, honestly. It makes me feel bad because I have, but not all the way through. I've seen like 80, 70 percent of it. And I thought I was I was going to be judged by you. Now you're no, Jersey. I, wow. No, I've, I've never actually. I, I, I didn't even know really it took place in Jersey until I saw the intro once. And I was like, oh, that stuff kind of looks familiar. And uh, I'd hear Scotty and Snake talk about it all the time, uh-huh. like especially when it first came out. And then they both revisited it. And okay. it. Uh, yeah. So. I heard about it a lot. I okay. could probably tell you certain storylines, but nope, never saw it. Okay. Never saw it. That's how I am with Star Wars. See, I've seen Star Wars. Okay. I was a late bloomer. My my uh, buddy, John, who lived next door uh, growing up, he was full on. I didn't see it until they like re-released it years and years later. But now I'm like a total geek with it. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Because yeah. I, I asked, because it's cool with this Appetite for Distortion podcast. And, you know, I'm in Queens. Uh, this morning, I was just at Q1043 in New York City, just board hopping mm-hmm. and producing the morning show. So I have a New York base, but I have listeners everywhere. And it's just cool to kind of get the taste of culture 
everywhere just through this podcast. And I just think of New Jersey, though. We have so many listeners at Q104 from New Jersey. And it's just like, I don't know the city is like, I know New York. So yeah. I, I kind of want to go back to, because I don't know New Jersey like I know New York. What was little, I know it's not really Rachel, you're, you're little, but what was little Rachel like? You know, what was the, um, in New Jersey well, I, growing up? Yeah, grew up in Tom's River, um, not far from Seaside, you know. Uh, I mean, once I got older, I used to hitchhike to Seaside, you know, to meet friends and stuff like that when hitchhiking was safe. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. But, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, and grew up about a mile from the bay, from Barnegat Bay, uh, and, you know, about three or four miles from the ocean. Never a beach guy. Went to Seaside, went to the boardwalk, never really, except when I was a little, little kid, you know, my mom and dad would bring us to the beach, uh, to Seaside Beach, or we'd go down to Point Point Pleasant. Um, you know, I, I probably, I go, because I, I live in Tennessee, but uh, we also have a house up in uh, in my hometown of Tom's River. Okay. And so we uh when we go i probably go to the, i don't go on the beach i'm just not a beach guy as you could probably tell from my tan um the uh yeah we still go to point and hang out and i love the food i miss the jersey food man like the pizza and the clams in the summer and you know the oysters and all that stuff seafood is a little different down here as like pizza and, and sure. just you know, you could go to a pizzeria and get the best Italian food you may ever eat in your life. And it's kind of hard down here. But uh, yeah, you know, I just used to knock around with my friends. My my best friend growing up lived right next door. He's still in Tom's River. And, and uh, my other buddies started, you know, uh, a lot of them still live there. Um, started a first band, my first band. It, in Tom's River, we played yeah, in my parents' garage, you know. Because Tom's River is, I mean, as a New Yorker and as a baseball fan, I know it's it's huge with Little League baseball. Yep, big time, big time. So what made you, I guess, because you weren't a mobster, weren't into the, the Sopranos. I'm, I'm, you're not an athlete. I don't know if you're, well, you look like you're in good shape, but I don't know if you're an athlete like that. But so how did you go towards the guitar as, you know, in New Jersey? How did you first lean towards uh, this path yeah, that we're on? You know it's funny because when I was a kid, it's kind of, you're kind of conditioned to be an athlete. And I just really wasn't into sports. I wrestled a little bit and played intramural football. Um, I did, I played little league and I wasn't very good at it. You know what I mean? I, sometimes I had fun, but the, that whole hardcore jock mentality was just not for me. You know what I mean? So I, I was never really into it, but I was always a really creative kid. And that, that I come from a long line of creative people, like starting with my brother and my, you know, everyone does a little bit different things, you know, like my, my sister, one of my sisters, very like crafty like martha stewart crafty and she creates stuff that is just like wow and even growing up she would paint and my brother would uh, build hot rods and create in that way and and you know my dad he would paint and he built houses so a long line of, of creative people my uncles and and whatnot and um i loved creating for me as a kid modeling clay was the be all end all. I would build everything out of modeling clay, you know what okay. I mean? 
And then music came along, but it, there was always music in my house because being the fourth out of four kids, there was music coming out of every different room. You know, I have one sister that was into the whole British invasion. My other sister was into like folk music, James Taylor, Carly Simon, Melanie, all that stuff. And my brother was into Hendrix and, and Zeppelin, the Doors, Chicago, Miles Davis. And then along I came and I, and see a picture of Gene Simmons. My friend let me kiss alive. And I look at the picture of Gene Simmons. I didn't even know what a bass was. And I remember going down to the kitchen and saying, I want, I want to play what he plays. They're like the guy with the blood all over him. (laughs) I was like, yeah. (laughs) My mom's like, did he get hurt? (laughs) So, and you know, I, there was a guitar in the house that I used to just mess around on. didn't know what I was doing, but I, uh, yeah, uh, eventually when I, I guess I was about 11, I picked up a bass. Uh, my parents got me a bass for Christmas. And uh, that that's what kind of started it all. And, and I started just, I took lessons. It was too much like school. I hated school, mm-hmm. even though I really loved my teacher. He was really nice and patient. And, uh, but I didn't want to play the things that he was teaching me. And then, you know, back then I could read music. Now I, I wish I could read music. Not that I really have a use for it, but um there's there's going to be so many musicians that that are going to hate me for that comment, but um, I hear that yeah, though. So. I feel like I hear that though that that musicians, at least the ones that I like, don't normally typically read music. It's just a feel no. for, it, and I'm envious. Yeah, that, it's kind of you know you know I know what notes are what, and I right. know scales. Uh, well, some scales, uh, and I just like I well, from a youngster. I just. You know, listen to people like Gene Simmons and Paul McCartney and Dennis Dunaway and and James Jameson. And I just listened to stuff like that. And Roger Glover um, from Deep Purple. And that was the kind of stuff that uh, got me in motion, you know, to be a bass player and to understand what the bass was Mm. and what its role in music was. And then, you know, then I I got into punk rock and that like kind of changed everything. I'm like, wow, they're like. You got, even though some punk rock basses are, are just ridiculous, like Graham maybe <laughs> and guys like that are just like insane. But you got the guys like Didi Ramone and, uh, and guys like that, that just hold it down. And, but it's a different kind of energy. And sure. I, I would always kind of try to bridge the gap between the two. And uh, that, I think that's where my style kind of came from. I'd have to imagine, because just from the few minutes I've been talking to you off and on the air, you seem like a very humble person. So you're naming all these legends that inspired you. Now, I mean, I'm mean, i sorry, I'm not trying to, to age you, but you are a legend to other people. Uh, yeah, I, I expected that reaction. So that's why I said <laughs> that, that, that way. The eye roll, just like, you know, just me, me. But I want to read another listener comment. Uh, this is from uh, Mats Tomska. I believe you're from Poland. Forgive me if I'm wrong. It's, I'm looking on Facebook. It doesn't always say. Right. Uh, he says, I don't have a question, but I hope you can tell him that he's one of the main reasons why I play bass. And one of the best, most interesting and amazing sounding bass players of all time. Okay, wow. I, I do have a question. And pardon me, but there's no way of putting it. How the fuck does he get <laughs> such an amazing sound where he can both uh, cut through and be noticed in the song? But at the same time, keep the bass low, low end roll unaffected. Sorry, fanboy moment right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, I, I appreciate the comments. He um, uh, that 
never gets lost on me when because I remember I remember meeting Gene Simmons for the first time and he had said something to me. And I, I was like, no way. You're you're absolutely nuts. I, I said, man, you're the reason I started playing bass. And he was so cool about it. And he goes, you know, someday somebody's going to say the same thing to you. Mm. And I go. Yeah, thanks, but I doubt it. And then we started talking about all these people I just mentioned uh, with the exception of him. And then he was telling me about his favorite bass players. And, and we talked for about a half an hour about bass players. And in, in my head, this is like on the Bon Jovi tour in 89. And in my head, I'm just like, what is happening? <laughs> I'm talking to my idol, the guy that got me started about I'm talking shop, you know, but um, I really appreciate that when people say that. So when, when that happened for the first time, I was like, wow, God damn it. Gene was right. <laughs> but but um, yeah, I, I appreciate I that. And, and the, um, the, the basis I use, uh, I use Spectre basses um, live pretty much exclusively. And in the studio, I use Spectre and uh, Fender P basses. <clears throat> uh, but I, I, the the what he said is like the bass cutting through um but not getting in the way but having that low end is it was intentional um because i i guess because of the guys that i mentioned that really shaped me as a player um there they they stood out they stood out in the mix they weren't just pebbling through everything um and they weren't just a a sound they were still an instrument and i wanted to be like that so just kind of honed in my sound and i use a solid state head i use the gk 800 uh the rb 800 and i i went from svt uh 810s to orange 410s and i found that that gets even more clarity but i could keep that low end rumble to things and you know, that was all intentional. That was all very intentional to do that so that it would be there in the mix. And, you know, when you stay till the last day of the mix, you make sure it's in there. <laughs> yeah, right. On. Absolutely. Because I've heard that story too, people being replaced in mixes and, and not being the way that you want it to be. Yeah. Uh, um, and to, I guess, jump on Matt's fanboy moment. I don't know if it's it's gotten the screen yet. I have a Skid Row oh, shirt. There, there you go. Nice. <laughs> they, they they make fun of, because you're quote unquote that guy, if you wear the name of the band, the shirt to the show, that's the old PCU <laughs> like, joke from that movie, PCU. <clears throat> that's so, funny. But so what? I I'm, I wear the name of the band of the people I'm, who I'm interviewing. What? I'm, I'm a nerd. It would, be, it, it would be really bad if I wore a Skid Row shirt. That would be that, is that very, guy. That is that's very true. <laughs> and what's even yeah. worse, and I'll admit, because that would be bad. I got this at hot topic in college, you know, so 15 years go. ago, but cause <laughs> you know, and, and again, not to age because again, you're, you're, you're seasoned, you're, you're a seasoned veteran. You're not aging you, but I got into Skid Row just a little late to the party. Just, I can't help it. I was born in 83. You know, okay. And I, I think you started the band, what, in 86? Um, yeah, I got to, to first together with Snake in 86, but the, First record didn't come out till like 89. I mean, sorry, I had Muppet Babies. I really had a Muppet Babies cassette, and that's, I'm sure, I, you know, it took me time. But I remember the moment when I discovered Skid Row, and I, I, I want to talk about it and ask about it, and so I'll credit another listener, at DC Flow, uh, Laser Machine, uh, Mike, on, on Twitter. I was a huge <clears throat> fan of uh, Saturday Night Live. I, I grew up watching Saturday Night Live with... Uh, me too. 
Adam Sandler and Chris Farley and Kevin Nealon. It was just a great core of, of just actors that grew on, went on to be movie stars and mega stars. And mm-hmm. it was just that seeing Skid Row on SNL, you didn't usually see hard bands. And the way you all had your hair in unison, I thought that was the coolest fucking thing yeah. ever, man. And I, yeah. I would still, I still talk about that as one of my That's favorite fun. SNL performances. So oh, I would love you. to hear that, you know, about the SNL experience, how you guys got booked, and yeah, just, just if you can tell me. Okay. About well, it. I mean, like you said, I mean, I grew up. I remember when the first SNL was aired, mm. and I, you know, it was Saturday, obviously, and I was allowed to stay up late, and I was like wow, this is awesome. This is so different. And I, I remember sitting there with my dad and we were, we were just laughing so hard and we're like, this is so different. And the fact that it's live and, and what was cool is my dad, you know, cause he, he they were 40 years older than me, you know, I was a whoops baby. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> so he, he grew up listening to live radio and then TV was live a lot of it was live and then it went away from that so he was so psyched that it was back to being live or at least the show so we were dying laughing and as the years progressed just all the bands that started playing saturday night live you had the stones and then blondie and and african bombada and like they'd go like to to pop and then kind of just like stuff that you we would have never heard of if it wasn't on Saturday Night Live. And it was just really cool to watch that. And as a kid, especially being in New Jersey, where New York, I could, if I wanted to really see it, I could go, you know, Mm -hmm. and see it. Um, It was a dream. It was, you know, before there was a term bucket list, that was at the top of my bucket list. And I said, one day I'm going to play on this show. And I'm like, well, I guess I have to learn how to play something first. (laughs) No, I actually, at that point I I played, but um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, just, just something to watch. Uh, all the people, Elvis Costello, that performance was legendary, mm-hmm. you know. Band for Life. And, yeah, Band for Life. Um, Fear was on there. Yep. Band for Life, you know what I mean? And it was just all those bands that were on there were just blew my mind. So it was something I wanted to do. Okay, so fast forward to, what was it, 91, I guess, or mm-hmm. 90. I'm not sure when we were on. And we, our manager called and said, hey, we got a call from SNL. They want you guys on. And we found out that G. Smith was the guy mm-hmm. that said, let's get some rock on this show. Let's get Skid Row. It was him. Oh, and wow. I guess, um, I think Jim Pitt was the, the, the guy at the time. Agreed. So we... Um, I had heard that and I was really happy. I got to personally thank him. I met GE and I met a lot of those guys and I got to personally thank him. And I I was really happy about that because he, you know, he made a Jersey boys dream come true in a big way. You know, he added uh, that's cool. Cause I remember again, being a fan growing up with that going GE Smith going to every break and then, Growing up and realizing how accomplished a musician he was, and just oh my, he's not just a Saturday Night Live guy, you know. He's, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a, a badass. He's, he's a, a badass. He's a badass. And yeah. I want to before we get to the uh, the new album, 
you know, sorry to live in the past for a, a, a little bit. Oh, no, it's all good. But I, I want to talk about still stay on. I was S- there. <laughs> I, I know I wasn't. <laughs> so I got to ask uh, because not just one of the best performances. I mean, monkey business, my, my, my goodness. But one of the best skits you were a part of. It was the, metal. the ABCs of metal where <laughs> yeah, that was so great. Adam Sandler was Axl Rose and Kiefer Sutherland, the host, was Slash. Yeah. And they're singing Mother Goose songs, trying to get this kid to bed. And then, yeah. you know, Skid Row comes out, you come out. Can you talk about that? Mm-hmm. Was there a rehearsal to that? Uh, and- yeah, a little bit. Okay. A little bit, yeah. Um, G and I were actually, I was actually playing bass with, and G was on the stage. And we were, I don't know if you've ever been to those studios. I, I have. But you have, okay. Mm-hmm. So you have all the sound stages on one side, and then you have the scenes across from it. So we're in that room that they built, which is across from the soundstage and G and I kind of had a line of sight and I had a wedge that was just uh, a monitor that was just out of sight. And so we were playing together and he just kind of, he's like, here it is. Here's the notes. And I mean, so so he's like, let's just punk it out. Let's do it like Ramon. So I was like, got it. And we did it. And we rehearsed it a couple of times. Um, and then when we went live, uh, oh, before we went live, actually, the uh, the the set director was like, okay, you could smash that. You could smash that. Don't smash that. We need it for another skit. Nice. Don't smash that. You know, and it's like, I'm like, man, once I, I'm in my head, I'm like, once I get smashed, I don't know if I'm going to remember what I can and can't smash. So, yeah, it was really fun. And that that kid, that little kid was a blast. I mean, he's probably he's probably 30 now. You know what I <laughs> That's mean? That's true. But, I didn't think about yeah, that. He, he was really cool. He was really fun. Um, and it was great that, that whole experience, man. Um, you know, meeting, uh, Chris Farley mm-hmm. and Adam Sandler, like I actually, Adam and I hung for a little bit after that. Oh, cool. Um, a, a few times and, and he was super, super cool guy. Dana Carvey. Oh, uh, legend. Uh, was, was he there? Yeah, who was? I mean, he might yeah, have been I, the tail end of that. I, th- that I think core, it was the tail end, yeah. But and, and then Spade, Spade oh. was hilarious. That dude is so funny. Um, and, and then Phil Hartman. Oh, so rest in peace. Yep. Yeah, and so we we were. Um, what were we doing? I, I'm not sure whether it was. I think it was because you you record it once, right? You mm-hmm. go through everything, you record it um, just in case, and and. From what I was told, I don't know whether this is this is truth or not, but from what I was told, ever since the Sinead O'Connor thing happened, they record a show, and if something goes bad, they just replace that with okay. the pre-recorded stuff. And what they do is, is you go in, and they have a whole audience there, and they also go in, and it's like, ah, that skit fell flat. Let's use skit number two that we rehearsed, blah, 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 blah. It, it was a lot more. It was really cool to see the inner workings of the, the show. But, um, oh, Phil Hartman. So <laughs> we're doing the goodbye at the end. And then mm-hmm. I realized at some point I was like, ah, he's Captain Carl from the Pee Wee Herman show. <laughs> yes, he and, is. Yeah. And so we're, we're talking at the end. And I'm standing next to him at the, the uh, pre-recorded wave goodbye right uh we were we were all in different spots on the the actual one but so i'm next to him and i go 
you were Captain Carl, weren't you? And he goes, that's right, Pee-wee, exactly. like that. And I go, Captain Carl, did you wash your hands when you went to the ba- after you went to the bathroom? He goes, no, and he put them on my face right out of the HBO Pee-wee Herman special that I saw like oh, nine man. billion times, right? That's hilarious. And that was my interaction with Phil Hartman, and I'll never, ever forget it, ever. It was the best, man. It was oh, the best. That is brilliant. Yeah. And, yeah, and and yeah, just to, yeah. uh, to to ask and then to wrap up this part of it because you you knew or no I don't you know I'm not uh, privy to your to your life like that but Axel and Slash mm-hmm. so what did you think of their impersonations and do you know if Axel and Slash or our Slash saw that I don't know I'm I'm assuming they did I mean we're all okay. around the same age so they probably watched it but um, yeah it was it was pretty great man like Adam. Sandler, he, he sunk into the role, man. It was so great. And just seeing him with the straight hair. It, it, oh, man, it was, it was pretty cool. And, um, yeah, Kiefer Sutherland, it, it was supposed to be a drunk slash, and I don't think he was that far off the mark. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know that for a fact. He was a really cool dude. Gotcha. Oh, I appreciate you sharing those. And this is the uh, the segue. I'll use a slash segue uh, because I believe the producer for your new record, Nick uh, Rasculenix, I have that mm-hmm. right. Okay. He worked with Velvet Revolver. So there you go. Yes. So that's my sixth yes, degree. Did. So uh, the, the gang's all here. So you've, we've talked about it. You, you started, you know, Skid Row 86. You've been playing music for longer. To come out with a new album, is it, what is the feeling? Is it, nerves is it exciting anxious is it all the above Uh, pretty much all the above um you know not so maybe not so much nerves but to be this far into a career right and to be this excited about something that we did and more than that for people and our fans to be this excited about something we did this far into a career is a really cool feeling, man. I can't even, I can't even really describe it. It, It's, it's uh, okay. So you work long and hard at stuff and, and your career will have highs and then lows and then sort of highs and then lower lows and whatever. And we got to a point now at the beginning of this year, everything changed, everything changed because we, we got a new record label, um, which happened kind of in 2020, I guess, ish. Uh, got a new record label, got a, we got new management. And then February, right around February, got a new singer. Mm-hmm. Eric. Eric Gronwald. And it all went, it just all came together and all came together in the weirdest way. And so quickly that my head is still kind of spinning from, and I'm still trying to process. I think once the album is actually out, I'll be like, okay, it's not a dream. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, And and just the feeling of it, just the anticipation for it to come out after everything we did to get this record done and to work, get to work with a guy like Nick, it, um, it, it's an amazing feeling that that's kind of indescribable. That's cool. Cause a lot did come together and I gotta be, you know, I, I have to admit, it, I don't want to be uh, a hypocrite. I wasn't aware. I know Skid Row. I've always been a fan. I'm, you know, wearing the shirt forever. 
I guess wasn't. Well, I mean, what other band am I like with Guns N' Roses? You know, with Guns N' Roses, like I'm following them like that. But with Skid Row, I guess wasn't expecting this. And then right. I, this record, uh, the singles that are off it, Tear It Down, Gang's All Here, and this new singer Eric. I'm just like, okay, what is this going to sound like? And you just, it sounds great. It sounds like Thank you. old school, and it's okay. Maybe I have that opinion. Maybe I'm I'm biased because I am I'm a Skid Row fan. And I go on YouTube, and there, you know what? Guns N' Roses does this. They turn comments off, and I get it. People are mean, and I, not mm-hmm. like you want to use the internet as the barometer for everything. But I just went to your YouTube five minutes, well, five minutes before this interview. So many great comments of just like the, this is like the Skid Row is is, is back. This sounds like the old days, and and you know everyone's rooting for Eric and. What yeah. does that mean to you? That it's not every, everyone's rooting for this man, for you, for the, these men, I should say, and this band yeah. in the year 2022. It means a lot. Um, it means everything, actually. You know, we uh, we were under a microscope, and uh, we still are to a degree, but we were under a microscope, and the scrutiny was just ridiculous. Um, and unwarranted. You know what I mean? We were doing what we were doing. We're in a rock band. People saying, hang it up, give up, give up. And people, and I'd, I'd sit there and think, I'm like, it's pretty funny that people are just saying, give it up, hang it up, this and that. It's like, okay, what do you do for a living? You know, say you're a roofer, give it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're telling someone to give up something their passion and all that. So at first it kind of bothered me. And then just in talking to other guys, like friends that are in bands and, and popular bands are like, dude, go on a me- any message board anywhere, go on the NASCAR message board, go on baseball to, for a team, go on their message boards. If they have one, it's the same shit everywhere, You're right. man. You're right. It's the same shit. People just can't help being like that. Some people, not all people, of course, but it's like people just can't help it. They, they, here is their platform to get noticed, whether it's just Mm. one sentence, one second, whatever it is, here's their platform to get noticed. And then it was funny because then eventually the term haters came out. And I Mm. I have a theory about haters. Um, kind of like, like they should all know that there's probably 99.9% of us that read the comments for sport Mm. and we get a lot of laughs out of (laughs) it. I don't think that's their, their goal, but for a person to go on a public forum, granted they're not buying ad space on TV. So it's not that, you know, but for a person to go on a public forum to just purposely degrade and criticize a complete stranger. They may have followed the band, but if we ran into each other, I wouldn't know that person because they're a stranger. For them they would to tell go, you what kind of big fan they are if they met you in person. They would say, I exactly. love you. I love everything you're, you're doing. Yeah, you know what? You're probably right. So for them to go on and spend all that energy, energy. Mm-hmm. and that time to sit down and tell someone how much they suck is like how miserable of a bastard do you have to be to do that? And when they go to bed, they're that miserable bastard. When they wake up the next morning, they're still that miserable bastard. The big difference is when 
I go to bed and wake up the next morning. I'm in skid fucking row. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> yes. I know exactly. I talk about this all the time, especially in this Guns N' Roses theme podcast where people like want certain band members, which I know we're kind of referring to, but it's the same thing because I'm a sports guy. Oh, the Yankees should get back murderer's row, 1927. These guys are bums, <laughs> and they're in first place, yeah. and people are hating on the yeah. Yankees. You know that being a, a New York, yeah. New Jersey guy. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, of course. Gi- Giants win the Super Bowl, and they suck. You know, it's just yeah. – it, it, you're right. It's like You have to, yeah. to, take, to understand that kind of energy, but it's also realizing there are people out there that let it affect them. So – yeah, yeah, it's cool to yeah. know that there are a lot of like you, you can laugh at it, but there are some emerging artists and it, it affects them. And you know what? Sometimes I'll see a comment about me and I, it could affect me. So, yeah. I, you it, know, it, it's, it's, and here's the thing, too. It's, it's like, you know, at, at times I'm like, man, I kind of feel sorry for this person oh, and not like, yeah. not, not like, you know, a pathetic way, but I'm like, what is their life like? I start thinking about it and I'm like, wait a minute, they're talking shit about me. Why do I care? You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. But it, but it, it doesn't. And, and you can't let stuff like that affect you uh, because you're doing what you love. You know what I mean? Hopefully they're doing what they love. You're right. Awesome. You're in skid fucking row, and here I am talking to Rachel fucking Bolin. That's, 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 <laughs> there we go, that's, man. That's life, how, life is goddamn good. <laughs> it is. And, and the gang's all going to be here uh, October yeah. 14th. Uh, you can mm. check out the, the video for the singles. There's two singles out right now. Or is there going to be another one before? We, the, we got, yeah, we have a third one coming out. Okay. Ooh, okay. That, that is cool. Uh, yeah. Before I let you go, I just got to ask, since this appetite for distortion, hopefully I'll get you on again. Do you have like a, maybe a fun, quick GNR touring story? I'm not, as you can tell, I'm not a very sensationalistic person, but I don't know, yeah. you know Slash running naked in a hallway or anything that kind of, you know. Well, uh, no, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. <laughs> I mean, and that's probably a good thing. I don't know. But uh, I mean, I think this is my funniest story. When we started the tour, Izzy was still in the band, Mm. but he wasn't traveling with the guys. The guys, um, they were flying and Izzy had his own bus and with his brother, his dog and his uh, girlfriend at the time. I I think they may have got married. I'm not sure. It's a long time ago, but I, um, so he brought, he had a trailer behind the bus that um, he had all his motorized stuff in it. He had, uh, you know, dirt bikes and BMX stuff. And, and he had a trials bike. And I'm not sure if you know what a trials uh, I don't. bike, but they're a motorcycle, um, smaller engine, kind of built like a dirt bike, but there's no seat. And it's all about skill with it. And these guys go up onto like these platforms and drive and they have to bounce on the back wow. tire. It's all really hard. Um, and I was a fan of that Uh, and I had noticed he had it and he was washing it outside his bus. So I went up and I was talking to him and we talked about, you know, motocross and, and trials, especially for, I don't know, almost two hours. And it's like, okay, cool. And I, I was like, he was a cool dude, man. He was like really cool. So low key and obviously a very talented guy. Um, so Duff comes in, like, I think it was the next morning. He comes into our dressing room to, uh, he, he was looking for cranberry juice, I think. So he's like, can I steal some of your cranberry juice? And we're talking. I go, hey, dude, this is a really cool guy. I go, we spoke for like two hours. And he put the cranberry 
bottle of cranberry juice down. He goes, how long did you talk to him? I go, I don't know, like two hours. He goes, dude, I think the whole band collectively hasn't talked to him for two hours in like the last year. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, uh, sorry, I didn't know what to say, but uh, I got a good laugh out of that. Uh, but <laughs> you yeah, weren't a that, band that, member, so I guess he wasn't tired. Uh, yeah, know. who knows? Yeah, you know, I don't know the dynamic. Sure, but, sure. Um, he, he was a super cool guy. All right, on. And, and so were you, Rachel. Thank you so much Thank for you, your man. time. I, I appreciate hope we, that. I hope we get to do this again because I also want to give you credit for uh, starting the uh, the nose piercing trend that. Oh, that's have you funny. noticed this? <laughs> that everybody and literally their mother has like a nose piercing now. It's like the yeah. it's become yeah. so popular. Sorry, I'll, I'll could save this for next time. But yeah, no, go- it's fine. It's it's funny. When when I lived in Atlanta, I had a buddy who uh, he was a tattoo artist, and he said that to me. He goes, "Man, what? he goes, I, I've been a tattoo artist for a long time," and he goes, "After you did that." He goes, granted, there was that, that counterculture of people that had it, but right. we didn't do it. You couldn't go and get it done somewhere. Everyone right. was doing it the way you did with a safety pin, you mm-hmm. know, and a potato shoved up your nose. <laughs> and uh, he's like, after you did that, man, we started piercing noses like crazy. I was like, good, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but And what's funny is I did it. I pierced my nose because of Peter Burns from Dead or Alive. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, that's why. I, that's what made me pierce okay. my nose because I just thought that guy was very intriguing, man. His whole his whole vibe was really it's, intriguing. It's just something because I'm a tattooed. I only have my ears pierced, but I'm like, I know Slash has had one for a while. You've had one, especially connected yeah. to your ear. But I'm looking around, and it would always just be like a, a novelty. You see, for me, I would see like a girl with a nose piercing or or something, and then I'd be like, oh wow, or a septum. Now it's like everybody. So I don't know who's a rocker yeah. who or who just got it at the mall. I know. Whatever. Are, I'm, I'm are married you, now. So are you a matter. bass player or are you my lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Uh, Rachel, thank you so much. Uh, and, it, and, and tour updates, uh, skidrow.com. Uh, it's on the sheet that I got, but not on your website. So I don't know if you're going to uh, the Kingston, which is like a couple hours north of me. Maybe I can go there. But regardless. I, I, I think that went away. Okay. But regard, yeah, yeah, pretty, okay, all right. So, but well, you're going but, overseas, um, uh, Denmark, UK. My God, you're touring. I got to catch you next time you're in New yeah, York. Yeah, man. Where I think the closest we get to you is like uh, Salamanca, New York, which is a, a little south of Buffalo. That's pretty far from you. The only Salamanca I know is from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. No, okay. <laughs> uh, for those who got that reference, good. <laughs> so that That's does great. it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. When will you see the next one? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. No! Fuck it! No! Yeah! Thanks to the lame ass security, I'm going home. <laughs>